The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. The new Prime Minister in waiting. Is Keir Starmer on the way to number 10? And what will it mean if he is? You'd be hard put to name three Labour policies. Most Labour MPs probably would too. In a desperate bid for power, the leadership is making sure it offends nobody. If you don't have any position on anything, there's nothing for anyone to object to. So will just being not Tory do? Or does the party need to get a vision in place for post-Conservative Britain? And what will that Labour vision be? The Y Curve. Now, you wrote that introduction. I did. And I, I, did. I just feel it might be a little bit unfair. In no. that I feel like at this conference we have started to get oh, come at on. least the green shoots of policies. Come on, name, 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 one, name, name one. Well, they've got a policy on housing. They've got <sighs> a, that's vague. Yeah, for sure. But they've got, uh, I mean, the idea is, though, that they want to devolve more responsibility to local authorities, which is very different to the approach uh, taken by the Tories, which is let's just, uh, yeah. you know, let's just get rid of any green requirements. So but it's, that you can it's, we'd like to devolve more authority. I mean, it, you know, it's not the sort of thing people will march in the streets on, is it, frankly? <laughs> All right. Energy, this idea that we'll have a new energy board that will be the I, I, the way I'm not, sh- I mean, OK, again, they've got to flash out the detail of it. But, <laughs> but I think I, we can hear they, the indeterminacy. If, they, if they're listening, I can give them that policy, oh, well, that's the important which I thing. think is that you've got a central body that buys up energy yes. from various sources to yes. get the best price so you compete against imported energy versus domestically exactly. produced fossil fuels versus green energy. What do we want? Uh, a new Quango. When do we want it? Now. <laughs> but uh. that new Quango might be what's needed. But tell you what, a privatised energy, totally privatised energy industry with, with competition is mm. not working. No. And hopefully, I mean, you can't privatise the uh, the sources of power mm. because it's coming from all over the world, but, right. but uh, nationalised, sorry. Yeah. But hopefully they wouldn't see the sense to nationalise this retail competition yeah. level, which has just achieved nothing and confused Well, I'm everybody. sensing you want input on these policies. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing else. But there aren't any policies. That's the problem. That well, is not, the problem. Not yeah. enough to throw anything out. And the, uh, maybe, maybe that is the secret. Maybe if there's a whole load of people thinking, well, if they could just do this, if mm. they don't tell us what they're doing, mm. uh, then we can hope exactly. that that's what they'll do. It's a do. blank sheet of paper. You can write mm. anything on you want. And if you want mm. a blank sheet of paper, I offer you Keir Starmer. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and well, there we are. You see, that is the question, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it, I don't know whether it comes from, from surgery uh, or just a, a lot of, a lot of training by I, I think you should lend him some of your charisma well that's what I was going to say can yes. he have can he be given charisma you can and, give it to him well I've, I mean I'll need some, I'll need to keep back some for myself <laughs> you've got so much I know I, I, I'm, I'm a giving sort of person well, aren't I so he could, he could this, is the answer. this is the well, answer I mean if that was the case I mean they would do, they would clearly win and be in power for a long time wouldn't they I well he wants thought. 10 years that's what he says really uh, yeah yeah no, he's definitely after 10 years that's what he wants and uh, you know it's a couple of well in Tory terms it's about four prime ministers worth but I mm. think I think the, the term the thing is he thinks he's going to well the pitch is they've messed it up so badly we need to do an awful lot well to uh, certainly I mean watching the uh, I mean we have to come clean we're, we're recording this actually a little bit earlier in the week than mm. we normally would so mm. we haven't caught all of the conference but we've caught a, a big chunk of it yeah. it feels like there's a lot more confidence there and togetherness than there was in the Tory Car Party yeah. conference last week I mean there's not no one is after Kia's job for example no, no, everybody no. No, no, is no. after Rishi's yes, job yes yes, yes. So, Jeremy Corbyn is not there well I mean and that they've got to be thankful for that this yeah. week of all weeks, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. With what's happening in Israel, well, exactly. Uh, so and they've that, been very forward in saying, "Look, you know, this is our position, and, and you know, making sure there's no intimations of anti-Semitism whatsoever." Because that could have derailed the whole conference yeah. if yeah. Uh, if Grishy, if, if uh, Jeremy, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, had had been there. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk more about it then. Yeah. Matthew Flinders is professor of politics at Sheffield University, and he joins us now. Okay. So, Matt, and I'm just wondering what kind of alternate universe we are in right now, because we have the 
Labour Party talking about economic growth. I mean, maybe they'll bring the party that brings taxes down. They're really saying that they are the safe pair of hands. They are managing the economy. They're putting putting an end to sticking plaster politics. I mean, it sounds like the sorts of things the Tory party would be saying after many years of of Labour government. Well, it's certainly uh, quite an amazing time in British politics at the moment. The the great long-standing historical tradition we had for stability, clarity and good governance uh, seems to have have somehow uh, moved away from us. And of course, the Labour Party are historically weak when it comes to uh, managing the economy. So what we have at the moment is a Labour Party that is doing everything it can to underline the fact that it's focusing on growth not new taxes. And and that is all about trying to combat this image that you can't trust Labour with your money, something that they are desperate to move away from. But you'd assume after the experience we've had in the last year and a half, it would be an open goal. I mean, the Tories to claim that they are in any way uh, custodians of sensible economic policies would be, well, I mean, on the doorsteps, that's a very hard line to sell, isn't it? And, and are they therefore just saying, hey, look, we're like the Tory party used to be? I think it's uh, it's a, it's a hard one to pull off at the moment. But then I also think sometimes the the, the public can have uh, paradoxical memories that, of course, we've had the the the, the devastation of the Liz, Liz Trust interlude. But there is something deeper going on here where I just can't help but feeling amongst the public there is this embedded view which is often counter to the evidence that you can trust the Conservatives with money in a way that you can't with Labour. Now, whether that's actually true or not is is one thing, but I think there's a framing issue that Labour have always been weak on. The idea that Labour comes in, spends lots of money, loses control, then the Conservatives come back and sort things out. It, it might be pie in the sky in a fairy tale, but it has a sort of popular swing to it, which the Labour Party really is trying to break. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there was a famous Reggie Maudling quote that, that that Britain is a conservative country that sometimes votes Labour, and that really is is the issue you're talking about. They've somehow got to turn it round, but but it does feel as if doing nothing, almost not offending anyone, is the way to do it. Because if you are not Tory right now, it's an open goal. Well, I think you're right. I mean, in a sense, politics is all about reconciling divergent views. And in the last few years, the Labour Party has basically kept its head down. Now, that's for a number of reasons. First of all, Keir was spending a huge amount of time uh, doing the very sort of unattractive under the water work of um, changing the Labour Party's internal dynamics and positioning. Of course, you had Brexit and COVID, which meant it was very hard for the opposition to get much media uh, attention. Um, And also the Labour Party was quite content to um, focus on attacking and doing what the opposition does. The problem is that strategy will only work to a point. Now, with the next general election coming so soon, you know, 28th of January 2025 is the final day. The public and the media are now looking to the Labour Party and saying, well, it's no point just attacking the Tories. What are you going to do? Give us the specifics. And of course, the challenge there is as soon as you get specific, you inevitably start to alienate people and rouse opposition. But that's exactly where the Labour Party are at the moment. There is a massive appetite for detail on how you actually deliver these five goals. 
Mm. Well, we were just before we started talking to you, uh, we were talking about the idea of this energy body, which, you know, the Labour Party has, has raised. And we don't know what it's going to mean. Uh, but I had my view about what it might do. Now, I might be disappointed because their view of actually what how this is going to play out could be very different. And so that's and that's the problem is that as you flash out the detail, even of sort of stated policy areas, the, there is the danger that if you don't carry everyone with you, uh, yep, yeah, you're going to start losing people. So uh, and it's interesting they have five goals rather than five policies in effect it's like well think places we'd like to be but it's all about drip feeding isn't it so this is where we're going to go and now we have to because there's got to be an education process along the way through all of this hasn't there well i think in many ways it's interesting the labor party are in i would say a a broadly positive position although obviously the danger of overconfidence is one that any party needs to be careful of but it's also in a bit of a pincer movement position because it has these goals and at the same time, the public are demanding detail on what are the policies that you will implement to deliver these goals. But then at the same time, above that, Keir Starmer is still haunted by the V word, the vision thing. And that is really something which all the surveys come back. The public are still slightly unsure what Keir Starmer and the Labour Party stands for today. And in many ways, that vision is the cement that should then incorporate those goals and trickle down into the policies. So the vision thing really is what this Labour Party conference has got to deliver. And has it so far? I mean, there's been some fairly impressive speeches. Well, I mean, everything's relative, isn't it? After after last week, where, as we said on the podcast last week, it was, it was really just auditioning for the top job. I mean, you know, there's some talent in the Labour Party. Well, okay, let's go back to the vision thing. Have we had the vision yet? No. Um, And I think this is an interesting issue that in many ways, one of the great um, qualities of Keir Starmer as a leader is that at root, he's a pragmatist. Mm. He's a pragmatist. He's a radical pragmatist. The problem in politics with being a radical pragmatist, is that you've seen, you're seen to have, have no real deep inner conviction. Yeah, he should be and number two, really, shouldn't he, rather than it, number one? In many ways, he, he is quite technocratic, quite generalist and quite pragmatic. Politics at a certain level, though, is about passion, is about energy, is about direction. And what any party needs to be able to do at the moment, and this is very crude, but unfortunately it's true, what is the offer that you've got? What is the offer that is going to grab the attention of the public and pull it into line behind you? We know there are lots of people out there who are floating around and are ready to align behind a really good, strong offer. Whether that vision offer is really there, particularly when everyone keeps inevitably harping back to 97 then we're just not in that situation well i was going to bring up 97 because obviously the parallel is very apparent you know a a, a lame sort of tory administration gone on too long uh, uninspiring leader and now you have the labor issue but i mean 97 was very different you had a very much more charismatic leader um it's hard to imagine the tories putting out a you know devil eyes on a poster of keir starmer and people not falling about laughing it is a, a situation where also in 97, as I remember, you know, you had a pretty clear program of what was going to be done. And is there a sense that this could be some sort of 97 repeat in any way? No, and I think that's the problem. You cannot smell it in the air. I mean, 
unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember 97 very well, to remember spending the whole night. I mean, there was an electricity and energy in the air from Scunthorpe to Southampton and all parts in between. You know, the, the things can only get better. People were singing it on the mouth because there was a real, almost like we call it today, Obama-esque belief that things were going to get better. We, we, we're not getting that sort of mood music at the moment. I mean, I also remember, you know, the you remember we were just talking about the uh, the five goals and a lack of detail. What you had under Tony Blair was the pledge card. Remember the little pledge card, the size of a credit card? This is what we will do. You could put it down on the table. The public understood what they thought they were getting. Um, at the moment, we don't have that precision. And of course, also at 97, the Labour Party had what was clearly a government in waiting. If you look at the, um, dare I say, the big beasts of the shadow cabinet, male, female, you know, the Jack Straws, the Blunkets, the Browns, it was a a, 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 a a menagerie of talent. Now, I'm not saying that today's Labour Party isn't uh, equally, in, well, maybe I am saying it's not equally impressive. All I'm saying is that in terms of a team, it's clearly not as mature in terms of his experience. And I think that's one thing that Keir has maybe lacked, bringing on and allowing the future generation of talent to get a visibility with the public. Is that because he he is a bit wary of the party still? I mean, this this was a, a, a party that turned on itself pretty much over the last four or five years. Uh, a lot of infighting. Is he still wary about the fact that the party might yet screw it up internally? Well, I think one of the interesting things that we don't talk about is that the Labour of the, the leader of the Labour Party has a lot more constraints on their ability to do things and to select their shadow team than the Conservatives do. And I think that is a real interesting constraint on Keir and also this idea about trying to balance out the party and represent all the different factions. Also, I think um, in recent years, Keir Starmer has just been fairly hard to reach. I think he's had a, a relatively small team around him. It's It's been quite a... An, um, uh, quite a protective machine around Kia, and there has been a reluctance to let other members of the team have a lot of airtime. So it seems like there's a few obvious things that he could do. I mean, when it's coming to that vision, and it's almost like going back to traditional Labour values to say, well, OK, energy, it's not working. Uh, let's renationalise it. I mean, the party wants him to do that. Uh, he seems reluctant to, to go down that road. Transport, HS2. I mean, he's held back on saying, well, it was a mistake to get rid of that. And yet, you know, if he was there saying, well, we've got to try and reinstate it if we can, uh, if it's not being completely hijacked so that we have a, a national infrastructure build uh, that's that's happening that's going to help the Northwest divide and North-South divide. Uh, and, you know, so, Actually, strangely, a lot of policies that Jeremy Corbyn had been talking about that at the time weren't palatable, perhaps are now because, you know, taking Europe as, an, as another one as well, you know, actually saying, well, yeah, we, you know, a lot of younger people, given the chance, would want to be back in Europe. So he could be going a harder line on we're going to find ourselves more involved in Europe. I mean, but all of those areas where obviously there could be kickback from some people, but maybe he's got to have the balls to actually say, I don't care. That's the road we're going down. Well, in a sense, that's 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 the, the risk of the trap, that you can play it too safe and end up going backwards. I mean, yeah. I think as a personality, Keir Starmer isn't really one for taking uh, radical uh, steps or, or being brave in, in the, quite that way. But what's interesting is that actually under Jeremy Corbyn, some of the renationalisation projects, ideas were actually incredibly popular with the public. The slight mm. 
issue for the Labour Party now is that this issue about they have to project a view of economic competence. So being linked to debates around renationalisation, committing to HS2, they have to be very, very careful that that isn't immediately picked on by their opponents as just signs of another profligate. But renationalisation of railways is an easy one, isn't it? Because it's happening by default. It's happening like salami slicing bit by bit by bit. And we've seen this in, in, in many areas. You know, I think one of the things that COVID actually did was it redefined the debate about the private sector and the public sector. Suddenly, in many areas, the value of the public sector, its capacity for intervention wasn't seen as de facto automatically a bad thing and that there was a need for a more sophisticated relationship between the two. So I think that that's the sort of story or narrative that the leader could be telling a need to reimagine, redefine, redevelop this notion of the state for the future rather than the past. Now, well, are they heading? Are, are they heading that way though? So, Jonathan Reynolds was talking about this formulation of GB Energy, uh, and the, the party was disagreeing on whether they should renationalise energy in total. But he's talking about a company that can manage all energy, public and private, and bring it all together. It doesn't seem like a bad idea, but, you know, the devil is in is in the detail. And maybe it's too early to give that detail, but that's a, a sort of like a, a green shoot of a policy anyway, isn't it? It is, and, and that's great. But, the, but the, the, one of the issues here, it's, okay, it's having the uh, interesting, dare I say, radical policies, the big ideas, which can capture the public's attention. But there's a, there's a slightly more, dare I say, political element here, that even if the ideas aren't that radical, parties, politicians can still frame, they can still present a vision, a story and a narrative that is designed to pique the interest of the public and make the public believe that you have a government in waiting with energy and drive and ambition. And that's what we're not quite getting. When you look at the shadow cabinet walking along the, the road in Liverpool, you don't see the body confidence of a group of people ready for power. They look slightly scared. Well, let, let's pick up, well, as well they might. But there's one other thing. I mean, it's interesting you draw that picture of them walking along, because one of the things, you know, if we move away from the economy slightly, perhaps more towards culture wars, which is another big theme that certainly the Tories were pushing uh, in in Manchester. Uh, if you look at that shadow cabinet and you compare it to the cabinet, what you notice is actually, the first thing, is a diversity thing. You know, you, you have more women of colour in the cabinet. You have uh, p- powerful people in the Tory cabinet who represent a more diverse Britain, it seems, than than the Labour cabinet do. Uh, and it, it seems a very odd thing. And, and that pays into a whole series of culture war issues like immigration, education, law and order, where they can say things on the right that Labour can't because it doesn't have that kind of image and process. Yeah, and I think this is a real, um, a real potential Achilles here, Achilles heel for for Keir Starmer, um, being able to answer basic questions. How do you define a woman? Is such a, uh, I know it's a completely um, sort of uh, set up, explosive question to ask in the current context, but 
you really do need a leader who is willing to just answer the question in a way that is is ev- inevitably going to disappoint some sides and might a- a- attract a huge amount of um, vitriol from certain very small minorities. But in the past, when Keir Starmer has refused or elaborated with some sort of academic lecture on the nature of gender and, and development, mm. um, that completely puts off what would be vast sections of the natural labour electorate right so in other words he should just answer it quickly and move on and if he doesn't then it just stays in the public debate for a longer period of time it will stay in the debate anyway it's just going to be there yeah but if he if he spends more time talking about other stuff you know it's like Mm. keep keep on firing other stuff then maybe that just falls into the background but when you talked about them all sort of like shrugging along uh their shoulders hunched as they uh walk through the streets it is manchester you know well it's liverpool Liverpool, same thing i mean so what they need i mean do they need a does ted lasso need to come and coach them do they need somebody that is going to give them that uh, i mean is, is it as simple as that they, they just need a coach to tell well, them look I, you've got a chance to win here just make it look like you you actually have confidence that that's what's going to happen well i think again this goes back to um the the leadership and you know as i said Keir Starmer has a, a a huge number of um qualities but um if we once again fall into the trap of comparing him to tony blair in 97 um, is Keir ever going to be the sort of person that can um, talk to a team, build it up, foster belief, you know, put the tin hats on, over the top, off we go, together, let's make big change happen, let's transform British society and grab our chance by the horns? Yeah. It's not his style. Yeah, and yeah, there's Rishi doing exactly that, isn't he? He's saying he's bringing change while promising nothing. Rishi doesn't look convincing either. That's the thing. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to get people on the he's trying. They they all try. But what about on on, on the big edge, you know, education, immigration? These are the kind of issues where, I mean, you can still remember now in 97, it was education, education, education. It was hammered home as a policy. Um, And and, and in fact, money in the end did go much more into education. So is, is that the problem? One of the problems, again, is that you have these uh, five goals, but what's bizarre about them is that the education doesn't really seem to filter through any of them. I mean, I would imagine it would come under equality of opportunity. But if you were to ask now, you know, it might be just six months away from a general election. What is the Labour Party's big idea in relation to education? How does early years education flow through primary, secondary into post-school education? What's the future for universities? Um, Now we've rejoined Horizon and the EU. How do we remain a scientific superpower I'm not sure where I would even go to find those those answers. So the fact that education isn't an absolute golden light shining through everything they're doing seems, again, a really yeah. massive... Um, and, and yet, yeah, an opportunity to yeah. spin that would actually be like, for example, on the HS2, why is it cost so much? You know, what are the skills that we are lacking in this country, which is making it so expensive to do a massive engineering project like that? Is it a failing of the education sector? Do we need to ramp up more uh, skills internally so that or we Or do we bring skills in from the outside? This idea that, that immigration, which has become such a huge bugbear, could actually produce and provide people with the skills that we actually lack in our own more system. More of a vote winner, though, isn't it, to say we're okay. going to skill up internally? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? OK, well, you've hit on, on a really important point here. Look, let's... Let's stop. Let's step back from the whole issue about parties and leaders and just look at the social context. 
The British public are totally and utterly fed up with politicians. They're fed up with political institutions, political processes, the data, the surveys. We're on rock bottom. We are in real issues around public confidence in our political processes. But more than that, we're almost wrapped up with this damp, dark net of pessimism that everything's going wrong. We don't know where we're going. Politicians are all in it for themselves. The real opportunity at the moment, and I think particularly for the Labour Party, is almost to recast a fresh politics of optimism that turns many of these challenges that we're all well aware of into opportunities for the future of society. Which, of course, is what Tony Blair was all about, wasn't it? Well, Tony was very good at doing this, but I don't understand why... At the moment, nobody seems willing. There is a lack of broad confidence amongst the political class in order to stand up and say, we need to redefine how we interpret these issues as challenges for us rather than issues that will repeatedly hold us down. So there's no one really pushing that line on the Labour side. I mean, you, you know, you've got some people who there who, Rachel Reeves, I suppose, is, stands out, Angela Rayner, people who perhaps, you know, kind of give that vibe, but they're not going to be allowed anywhere near the top because Keir is terrified that people with, well, with a vision thing, it may be the vision thing that actually turns people off. It may be the red wall flees away from that. Well, I mean, it's because they look at, and uh, I mean, it's the wrong vision, but Liz Truss has a vision. <laughs> yes. And she puts it across in a very forceful fashion. Very, very slowly. And, and very slow. I know she's been trained badly again, but yeah. it's, um, but at least she's got a direction, uh, which is what but, we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. And I think this, this, this vision goes back, back to the offer that what the British public really want is an element of self-belief amongst their politicians that they are also able to nurture new relationships and nourish new forms of community in a way that really is good for everybody, which you would think would be totally uh, new Labour terrain. I mean, I think actually there is sort of, I'm very interested in the way Wes Streeting has been um, um, telling his story. And I think if there was somebody who does understand a lot of these issues and, and has uh, potential in this space, I mean, I think Wes Streeting is somebody that has been quite clever in um, promoting himself Self without annoying the leadership, but clearly developing a brand and an agenda. A very good book, actually, a very well written book, actually, interesting, and, and taking it, it labour into that area where it does need to be. But, Matt, where, I mean, do, let's put you on the spot now. We're now potentially uh, less than a year away from an election. Do you, how do you see it playing out? Do you see labour? seizing this kind of high ground you're talking about or do you see ever increasing caution as we get towards the point of people going to the polls um i okay so i am rather isolated that i'm still not at all um thinking that it's a done deal for the next general election at the moment uh i would i would probably see the Conservatives winning with a small majority. I don't think if you look at the polls... You think the Conservatives will win the next election? Yeah, yeah, because I think that too much caution on the Labour Party side will play into the hands of the Conservatives that are often seen by many people as the natural governing party. Also, I think in the next 12 months, if we push the election back as far as possible, there could be some economic shifts. 
Uh, depending what happens with the court case, there might be some move with Rishi Sunak's ability to deal with the small boats. And of this course, is the Rwanda as, case that's going through. The, the Rwanda case. And of course, also, the, the, the HS2 issue is not just about long-termism. It's creating some wiggle room in the Conservative budgets to unleash before the next general election. So my, my, my slight fear is that politics is at the moment a very fluid business. I think there is an opportunity for a for the Labour Party for it to go out hard with a clear, strong vision as a team for the future. But if it continues with this very cautious, almost winning by default approach, they might find they don't win. They lose it. Yeah. So the problem is, of course, and I, uh, just to s- support that view, perhaps is it's very easy for the Tory party to say that we are going to make sure that we live within our means, which everyone sort of, everyone sees the government budget as a household budget because that's what they understand. It's harder for a Labour party to say, well, we think we can invest in certain areas, which might mean we go into more debt in certain areas, but these are investments and the lot we'll see a long-term payback. People don't want to hear that sort of thing right now, even though it might be the best thing for the country. The idea that, and and I think this is part of the problem here is, um, it's part of it's an understanding of education and the way the the economy works, but also it's that requirement for that 15 second soundbite on the evening news on TV. And I don't know how you get around that problem. So so if you've got anything other, if you've got a policy that takes more than 15 seconds to to explain, you've lost. And also, of course, you know, the, the changing international landscape uh, may well also help the uh, the incumbent government. The things that are happening at the moment in Israel and Palestine, uh, it yeah. not only creates more fears amongst the public about economic fluctuations and change that might make them think that continuity is better. It might also give Rishi Sunak opportunities to adopt that high international leader visibility in the way that Boris tried to do it uh, in the Ukraine. And um, also Rishi Sunak individually He's quite popular with the public. He in, in in the Midlands, north of England, in local communities, they really like him. Um, so it, it's it's interesting that although I completely understand uh, why so many people think it's a, almost a done deal that there will be a change in government, I just think it's far, far, far closer than, than a lot of people. Well, but, but Matt, people walking to the polling stations, you know, past the, the potholes in the roads, they can't get the train because it doesn't work. Uh, you know, they've got all sorts of issues about about perhaps in some parts are more immigrants coming in than they want. All these kind of things, just the broken Britain theme, which is very strong isn't that in and of itself going to be a getter of votes for labor no not unless they honestly believe labor are going to do anything better and that's the key issue that unless- and rishi's got 10 percent of that hs2 fund to fix those potholes remember exactly. whereas labor's coming out without without the costs hs2 was not about the long-term strategic it was about how do i squeeze money into my piggy bank for short-term electoral benefits and in some sense, that's that's very clever politics. So, of course, in the long term, the British public and the north of England will, will, will pay for that. So Rishi's got some money now to do some very attractive tax breaks or investments in parts of the country that might particularly lean towards him. But also the Labour Party's got to have a convincing retail offer to that man or woman walking down the road in Sheffield to the polling booth that makes them really believe that if I vote, it's going to make any difference. And actually, the big question isn't who they vote for. It's getting them to walk down the street in the first place. And that's a big challenge for the Labour Party. Conservative voters 
are generally far better at turning out to vote than Labour voters. So the Labour Party have not only got to get that retail offer out there and that energy, but they've got to get people out and to the ballot box. Yeah, and the older voters tend to vote more and they tend to be more conservative and the younger ones, perhaps more eco-friendly, less likely to vote. But uh, but if they think that the Tory party may win, maybe they'll be out uh, in their droves. But the just getting back to this belief that maybe, just maybe, yeah, Rishi will win, which would be nice for Rishi, wouldn't it? Because he would actually have won an election. He would actually be legitimately yeah. there as somebody who's been voted for. Uh, but, you know, in the polls, I mean, since the conference, the cons- I'm looking at the Redfield and, uh, is it Redfield and Wilton survey uh, since the uh, Conservative Party conference they've actually fallen in the polls from 2% down to 27% Labour's on 43 if you add the Greens and the Lib Dems then sort of left of centre parties are, tol- are polling 62% of the vote I mean that's yeah that's and, and a you're big actually call. 100% and, and the Rutherglen Glenn and Hamilton West yeah that really was unexpected and, and it's hard to dismiss that as oh it's just a by-election you know a 20% swing from SNP to Labour you know Sir John Curtis has been um, you know very clear that if they could get that to transfer that could lead up to you know 20, 30 maybe 40 seats and, and Labour getting a, a stronghold back in Scotland my, my slight concern is that um, the Labour Party do have a, a slight historical record of snatching defeat from the claws of victory so it's it's about making sure that as we go into not that I'm a member of the Labour Party or the Conservative Party, I, I want everyone to know that I'm I'm not bagging for either side. I'm just saying that here, as we are now, as we're heading towards a general election, the Labour Party have momentum, but it's rather a negative momentum at the moment of keep things as quiet and as slow as possible and get in by default because so, people think that they're so, so bad. So better, you think, that they lose a few points in those opinion polls by taking a stance on some things that other people might actually see as a as a vision. So they solidify part of the vote, even if they have to lose some of the... Live slightly people. more dangerously for the longer-term benefit. Be bolder. I mean, because as you get closer to the general election, the public will say, are you actually a government in waiting or are you just good at heckling at the machine? If all you can do is heckle, we might just keep what we've got. Mm. Matthew, thank you very much for being with us. That's uh, It's going to be very interesting. And I'm, I have to say you're the first person uh, in this sort of position to say that you don't think Labour's yeah, going to win. First. Uh, yeah, and it's very interesting. And as you say, a bit of a wake-up call. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sure that's going to come back to haunt me. But that's <laughs> where hey, Matt, we'll make sure it does. We'll talk to, we'll talk to you in a bit over a year's time. <laughs> <Bet> you will. <laughs> thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Mm, well, that was... <laughs> yeah, food for thought. Uh, yeah. mm. I've not heard someone say before uh, in, in that sort of position that they don't think Labour can will win or they think they might not win absolutely can see his point there can't you mm. i mean I, I you just wonder I, i'm not quite sure who else you'd put in charge of keir starmer though who's the other who's the other talent that you'd have at the top but well, through, it's a difficult anyway, one it, but yeah. peter mandelson apparently has been getting involved so we ha- could see a transformation having a position would be a useful direction wouldn't it now next week yes. uh, well all hell is broken loose in the middle east doesn't it has it, basically? it has in an area that uh, i have <laughs> spent you know all well. the time mm. um not recent not that recently but uh, it, it does seem to repeat that this is on a different uh, level altogether and we will talk about what it means because it's one of those things that will affect all of us however remote you might think it is yeah um and uh, and very much in the geopolitics of the moment and the economics of the moment because it has a huge effect obviously on things like oil prices and, and things of that nature so something we're going to delve
delve into, see what it means uh, for the future, um, and uh, hopefully and it, the ghastliness yeah. will be less than we think it probably will be. Well, and we know that the repercussions are going to be felt around the world. I mean, even within London, within the UK, yeah. you yeah. know, you're, you're starting to see actions it becomes a, an opportunity for people to to suddenly start you know yeah. showing their true biases on either side yeah and, uh, and as we know some of those things can come back to bite us here in the uk in very unpleasant ways yeah and uh, that we hope does not happen but uh, it is a possibility anyway that's what we're going to be talking about next week yeah on the wake curve. yeah we'll see you next week thanks for listening the why curve <laughs>